I don't see the world where I am U.S. centric. I see the world where God is at the center, and and we need to embrace what God is doing in the world. I'm Mitch, and I'm Missy. We're coworkers. He's the boss, and we're married. And she's the boss. Together, we host Good Faith Weekly, a podcast on faith and culture. What could possibly go wrong? Tune in and find out. Missy. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly on this episode. Missy and I catch up after a week off, and then we sat down with the new president of Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California, Dr. David Goatley. It's going to be a good episode, so stay tuned. Missy, welcome back. Thanks. We've missed you tremendously. I have pod missed you. Pod? Okay, define that. <laughs> I mean, we've been together for a few days, but we haven't recorded together for a couple of weeks. We have not. So, yes, I have pod missed you. Well, I have pod missed you as well. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, you actually went to Boston. There were for family well, situations. I, yeah. I'll, I'll take it from here. So, we got home from Vermont. Yeah. And less than 48 hours later, I was unexpectedly back on an airplane to the Northeast to Boston. We had a family situation um, where we had a little bit of a crisis and, and someone else was supposed to go and help with, with some, some little kiddos. But bottom line is you got to spend some time with some little kids. I got second string called in. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So you're the backup. I'm the backup, right? Okay. Because if you want somebody to take care of your children, just note that I'm the backup. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the if you can't find anyone else, and we're about to find out why. So I got called in to help out with two toddlers for a few days. Yep, and um, joyfully, willingly went to do that. Great kids, great oh, family, Ad- super sweet, totally and adore them. At having raised two children myself, I am essentially like a pro, right? I mean, you do know. You're not a single parent. We did this together. Whatever. I'm a pro. <laughs> like, I got this, right? All right, go ahead. So I get left on my own with two small children, and this is how the evening went. Thinking I am a pro at this, right? No big deal. I can handle all the things. Oh, of course, because so, I, I've seen your... I mean, right. you could teach a master class of this. So sure. Go ahead. So... Mom and dad leave the house for the evening to, to take care of family business. I'm like, got this. Right? Mary Poppins has this. Got it. I think, you know what? Not only am I going to take care of the children. Oh, yeah, of course. I am also going to clean the kitchen. I mean, because that's who you are. That's right. So I <laughs> go into the kitchen and start tidying up and the one-year-old toddles in. No problem. Like, yeah. right, I can handle this. And all of a sudden, before I can blink, toddler, this, the one-year-old is in the cabinets pulling out, right? Sorry, stuff out <laughs> of the cabinets and toddles over to me with um, what is apparently a, a, a fish net that you take fish out of an aquarium with. You know, when you're cleaning a fish tank, you take the fish out. I do think that is the literal definition of fishnet. But go ahead. Okay, fishnet. And she's about to like put it in her mouth. So I was like, no. So I grabbed that away, put yeah. it away, closed the cabinet door, and then very quickly try to finish cleaning the kitchen as, as, as you know, baby is trying to climb into the dishwasher, realizing that maybe I've taken on a little more than I can handle um, in, in trying to clean the kitchen and handle the toddlers. Anyways, get that finished up. So have dinner like I make this picnic meal in the TV room right super yeah, fun yeah picture s I get it yeah right like yeah. macaroni and we cheese we all get it yeah fruit like fantastic I'm, I'm on I like, mean you're oh. the perfect adjacent aunt got it right all the food groups there have dinner then I realize okay after mac and cheese oranges and I don't know whatever else I gave them I, I mean, don't remember but at, at this point in, in the story I mean you are the Proverbs thirty one. I mean, sure. We are all rising up and calling you. Yes. Bosses, so go ahead. 
all the sticky foods happened in this meal. And so I'm thinking, okay, I've got to bathe these children now because they're completely sticky and covered because in macaroni who, you know, and cheese. Of who cheese. you are. Yeah, I get it. Yes. So get the kids into the bath. There's a one-year-old and a four-year-old. And about, you know, five minutes into the bath, the one-year-old says, poo. And I'm like, oh, that's cute. Oh, okay. <laughs> So, because, I mean, that's adorable, right? Right? Not thinking much of it. And then a couple of minutes later, the four-year-old goes, A turd! A turd! <laughs> <laughs> so, I looked down and he was not wrong. <laughs> so, I was like, oh, no. So, I just, what do I do? There's two children and a floater literally in the bathtub. So... <laughs> I get the older one out first. I figure he's he's a little more responsible. I get the older one, wrap him up, and I said, okay, go sit on the couch and just wait for me there. <laughs> Be patient. Be he patient. does what he's told. Yeah. So then get the one-year-old out, wrap her up, and, and I'm like, she needs a diaper. Well, like, stat, obviously. Right? <laughs> so go get her dried off and, and get the diaper on and all the things, and then go get her into the playroom where the – four-year-old is still sitting, you know, compliantly on the couch watching yeah, TV sure. and um, get him, then I get him dressed and I'm thinking, okay, now I've got to go deal with the bathtub, <laughs> which still has, <laughs> which still has the, floater, the floater, right? Circling so like, the drain. Gonna, how am I going to get this floater out of the tub, right? Mm -hmm. And then I remember the fishnet from earlier in the evening. <laughs> Genius. Not Absolutely genius. So I went to get the fishnet, took care of the floater. <laughs> well, as one does with the fishnet. Absolutely. Yeah. Go so ahead. I um, then cleaned, you know, let the water out, got the toys, cleaned all of that stuff. I mean, I was not gone 60 seconds. I'm not kidding you from the playroom. I go back to the playroom only to discover... <laughs> The one-year-old now has her head tilted back with, I'm not kidding you, a bottle of beer. <laughs> Cheers. She has just thrown her head back and has her mouth around this bottle of beer. I'm like, what in the world? So I grabbed that from her, realizing that, you know, and I mean, you know, it was completely, it happened with our kids, but completely innocent the night before dad had, you know, had a beer with his meal. And like, sure, set, we'll go with that. Set it beside this, you know, the side of the couch. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. As you do, you just kind of set it there and forget about it. So thank the Lord God Almighty. It was empty or mostly empty. It was empty by the time <laughs> I got to empty. it. <laughs> um, quickly grabbed that from her hand and was like, took it. And um, at this point in the story, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like Missy to take care of your children, please right, call 1-800-MISSY. <laughs> right. Um, so anyways, got that from her. But that wasn't the only thing that happened that night. Oh, shoot. There was another thing that happened before bath time. There was, they had this little um, motorized car. If you follow me on social media, you probably saw this picture. So there was a motorized car that the one-year-old was playing with. It was real, you know how toddlers are. They play with cars and mm -hmm. drive them all over the thing. She put it on top of her head. Yeah. And do you know what happens to baby fine hair and a motorized battery-powered car axle in baby fine hair? I am assuming that the hair gets wound around completely up wheel. in her hair it was oh all in the bless her heart so her hair was completely tangled in Did the she axle scream? of the no not at all oh muscle tough bless her heart you know and i was like what am i gonna i'm gonna have to cut this baby's hair you know like gum in the right, hair yeah, it was sure. right in the crown of her head like her bangs right and so i thought what do i do i grabbed her up and and somehow by the grace of god with the help of of my sister on a, on the phone I wound the car. So you're like calling in reinforcements from Texas at this point. Right. Which meant, which did no good, but I was able to untangle the hair from the car without cutting the hair out and, and the baby never cried. Anyways, it, this was just a night. First of all, super sweet kids. They were wonderful, but it was quite an adventure mm -hmm. and um, definitely tested my confidence and my, um, I don't know, maybe overconfidence. <laughs> In child care abilities. 
But nonetheless, we had a good time. And I made it home <laughs> safe and sound. The children are fine and fed and healthy. Wow. <laughs> there you go. Well, I'm glad you're back. I'm glad the kids are okay. And, um, you know, it's good to have you back. Thanks. I missed you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Appreciate that. So lots going on in the news this week. Um, some just absolutely unbelievable statistics coming out of the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, we have been working with um, Turkish citizens here in Oklahoma and trying to discover what we can do to help their relief and recovery efforts there in Turkey and Syria. Uh, last week, we talked to Mohammed uh, Alizar, who is the director of the Rainbow uh, uh, Turkish House here in Oklahoma City. He told us a little bit of what was going on. His family survived the earthquake, but just tremendous loss of life. I mean, at this point in this interview, we're over 40,000 loss in life or loss of life and just, just devastated. I just, I can't get my head around that. The numbers are staggering and I cannot get my head around that either. Yeah. It's very tragic. So I know it's cliche. Our thoughts and prayers go out to everybody in Turkey and Syria and family members around the world. And we're doing everything we can to, to, to help them in their effort. So uh, please be in praying, for, praying for them, give any way you can and make certain that uh, we're doing, we're, we're living good faith and we're practicing good faith and making certain that we take care of all our fellow human beings. So, so we haven't talked much about, this, I mean, we've talked about the, yet again, mm-hmm. um, lather, rinse, repeat. We've had another mass shooting on a school campus. Dear Jesus. Um, and I don't know, I, I assume you've heard that there were students um, at Michigan State, State right? Yeah. In Lansing. Who were also involved in school shootings. Um, yeah, there was actually a student from before. Parkland. Who yes. was there? And one from, was there one from St. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to get this wrong, but and I don't want to get it wrong. So there were, there are students who this is now their second time to exactly. be involved in a school shooting. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it is mind blowing that we live in the most developed country that the world has ever seen. And we are still under this threat of individuals walking into a public setting and opening fire on their fellow human beings and killing them. This is asinine and evil, and I'm tired of saying it. We've got to do something about it. You and I talked to uh, Shermaine Brown last week about the necessity of sensible gun legislation, and the reality is People in power know what to do. They absolutely know what to do. They know what is right, and they continue to refuse to do it. I'm tired of it. They don't care, because here's the thing. There you go. They know by the time the election cycle comes around, they will, we will have forgotten, or it doesn't matter, because you know what the real evil in this world is? It's trans athletes trying to run a track meet. That's what the real evil is, Mitch, and that is what get them reelected it's no i mean and and you just hit the nail on the head and i mean quite frankly you're sounding like joe scarborough on morning joe every day well he is my favorite complainer you do know that exactly i I strive to be as good a complainer and you rise to the occasion every week but the reality is that you're exactly right that to talk about what's going on in this country with gun violence, to stand up and say this is evil and that we need to do something about it will not get them reelected. Right. That's the most important thing to our legislatures right now, or legislators right now. Well, because we've shown in this country that to be elected, you just have to create some sort of visible evil and you can create that and distract you know, for your voters from the bigger issues at yeah. play. 
and camp out in these issues of, oh, no, there might be a, a transgender person coming to read a book to your child at school, the horror. Yeah, God forbid. God somebody, forbid somebody yeah. come and read to your child at school, right? Because, I mean, if there's but one thing we have plenty come, of in this country, comes it, to it your is school volunteers, school right? With, yeah, if somebody comes to your school with a weapon, then, I mean, that's protected under Second Amendment. Right. And also, here's the link to buy your child a bulletproof backpack, by the way. Dear Jesus. ET dubs. I mean, Let's put more money in the hands of Amazon and, and bulletproof we manufacturers. Just, uh, we can't say it enough. We can't say it often enough that this country is addicted to guns and violence. And it is an unhealthy attachment to the Second Amendment, which is an erroneous attachment to the Second Amendment if you actually read what the Second Amendment says and states. We need more gun legislation, sensible gun legislation. That's why we talk to groups like Moms Demand Action and the Sandy Hook Promise because that is the way of the future. And until we force elected officials to make those hard decisions, nothing's going to get done because we have seen time and time again, the death of young people does not change their mind. They do not care. There's an, this is sad. There's not enough dollar signs behind it. Exactly. I mean, and that's just the tragic truth. Absolutely. Well, Missy, you and I sat down with Dr. David Goatley this week and talk about uh, the importance of theological education. All of this is germane to the conversations we're having. Dr. Goatley is the first African-American president of Fuller Theological Seminary in California. He has been an extreme advocate for social justice throughout his career, talking about the importance of the things that we talk about and we just had a delightful conversation with him, and it was a great interview. Yes, I very much enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Goobly. He talks about the many programs they offer at Fuller, which are not just uh, theological for vocational ministers, but also the dealing with social work and counseling and and avenues and fields of study that will help with all of these issues that we talk about. So stay tuned. It's a great conversation with Dr. Goatley doing amazing things out at Fuller Theological Seminary. So enjoy the interview. Hey listeners, check us out online at goodfaithmedia.org and follow us on social at gfmedia.org. We'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. I'm new here and could really use the feedback, but only if it's glowing. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got a very special guest with us. Dr. David Emanuel Goatley was inaugurated as the sixth president of Fuller Seminary on January 21st, 2023. Before his appointment, he served as the Associate Dean for Academic and Vocational Formation, Research Professor of Theology and Christian Ministry, and Director of the Office of Black Church Studies at Duke Divinity School. For nearly four decades, he has served in leadership roles in organizations dedicated to justice advocacy. Christian Mission, and Global Ecumenical Causes. He earned his B.S. in Guidance and Counseling from the University of Louisville and holds two degrees from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, an MDiv with an emphasis in pastoral care and counseling, and a Ph.D. in theology. Mr. President, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Thanks, Mitch. I'm rejoicing to be able to talk with you today, and it's good to reconnect and to hear your voice, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and the listeners of Good Faith Media. Well, Dr. Goodley, thank you again for joining us. And I know many of our listeners are going to be familiar with you and your work, but for those that maybe aren't, and also for those that are, tell us a little a bit more about your background, your, your upbringing, your childhood, uh, maybe even some fun facts that, that we might need to know. Well, I was blessed to be born uh, to a Christian couple, uh, my father, um, W.H. Goatley, and my mother, Lillian Goatley, both of blessed memory, uh, were uh, just wonderful uh, Christian parents and also um, pacemakers uh, in their own uh, way. Uh, my father was in the first uh, group of African-Americans to graduate from the University of Louisville. 
when they uh, closed the Louisville Municipal Campus and African Americans were able to attend University of Louisville. And uh, my mother also was an early graduate uh, shortly after that and um, was uh, one of the first African Americans who worked in a predominantly white bank uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. So uh, they were both um, forward leaning. Uh, and uh, created opportunities uh, for us and modeled for my brother, uh, Will Goldley, who is also a pastor and a hospice chaplain in St. Louis. Uh, so the two of us uh, had uh, parents who prepared us uh, for ministry's vocation uh, and to do the best that we could to serve the Lord wherever we were. So I'm thankful for them. He was also my pastor. Uh, you served the first Baptist church in Eminence, Kentucky for 47 years. Uh, wow. He was the first African-American uh, to graduate from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville wow. after the laws were changed when black students could go to class and sit in the class with white students. Uh, so well, he, we were nurtured. Uh, with a kind of uh, pastoral faithfulness and exposure uh, early on. My mother uh, had multiple uh, opportunities to serve in different ways. Uh, for a while, she was a, a secondary education educator and finished her career as a uh, social worker doing child protective services. So that's kind of the household we grew up. Uh, First Baptist Church in Eminence. It was a small membership church in a small town, uh, but we didn't do uh, things small. Uh, <laughs> we were taught that there are no uh, small churches. Uh, they have a small uh, membership number, uh, but there's nothing that uh, you can't do if the Lord is calling you uh, and you're committed. Uh, you have to work on scale and schedule, but you can serve. So we were committed uh, or nurtured uh, to understand that you always speak of church and community together. Uh, you never talked about church in isolation from the community in which it was embedded and to which it was committed to serve. And the community was not just uh, in locality. Uh, community also uh, crossed borders. So we were uh, nurtured to be engaged in prayer and generosity with missions around the world. So uh, I grew up in a church that uh, made disciples and, and taught us to be engaged in the world uh, for the gospel in word and deed. Um, and I'm grateful to have grown up in, uh, I spent most of my formative years in Louisville, Kentucky, and then spent my high school years in Eminence. So uh, the, I guess a fun fact uh, would be that I was, uh, I was a high school football player and finished my career as a quarterback. Ah, uh, there you go. Uh, so that might be a fun fact, but were you a, were you a passer, Doctor Goley? Were you a passer or were you a runner? I was a passing quarterback, but I had to roll out all the time because I was short. <laughs> same, so, same, brother, we did same. Of, we did a lot of play options and uh, a lot of rolling out, and uh, I was a safety on defense and quarterback on offense. So that's my fun fact uh, for the day. Sounds like you've had a fantastic foundation. And while I'm sure there are many theological um, conclusions we can draw from football experience, <laughs> let's <laughs> shift and talk about professional experiences. Uh, before teaching at Duke uh, Divinity School, you served as CEO of Lock Carey Baptist Foreign Mission Society for more than 20 years. And during that time, you led the organization's efforts to sustain mission partnerships around the world. How did that experience prepare you for your position now at Fuller? Yeah, I think part of uh, the benefit, and I, I think it's important for people to remember that uh, when you have opportunity for ministry leadership, you're able to shape uh, culture and influence uh, organizations and people and people and communities. But your ministry also shapes you, and so my involvement, uh, primarily with accountability in the global south helped shape my worldview. Um, it helped me to have a, a, a broader horizon uh, for interpreting life uh, and uh, discerning what God is calling for. It put me in, uh, in proximity and relationship with people who are doing 
effective and impactful ministry in places where we would say the odds are all against them and without some of the uh, props and tools that we think are necessary. But uh, ministry is not dependent upon the tools. And uh, I, I was I was taught that you can serve even when you don't have all of the props that sometimes we get accustomed to uh, in the North Atlantic West. Um, and, and also taught me about the power uh, of collaboration. Uh, sometimes uh, those of us in the United States have this kind of individualistic approach, whether it's personally or whether it's congregationally or whether it's denominationally, and we think we can go it alone. Uh, but I learned uh, in uh, fresh ways and uh, impacting ways that not only do we need each other to do well and to do better, but life is richer for all when we share and collaborate and understand that there's mutuality and reciprocity. And sometimes in the business community that you know people talk about synergy, uh, but there is enough and to spare uh, when we're willing to share. And so those are some of the things uh, that uh, have informed me in addition to other experiences of ministry. I've been a, had the privilege of, I was a, another fun fact, maybe I was a church musician uh, <laughs> at one point. Um, I've been, had the privilege of serving as an urban missionary, a denominational staffer, a congregational pastor, and a theological educator and administrator. Uh, in addition to the Black Carry experience. So the Lord has used all of that. But I think the global uh, piece has helped me. And the theme of my uh, inaugural address uh, was the world is our village. Mm. And that uh, working uh, with global uh, communities helped me to see that's the way that I see the world. I don't see the world where uh, I am U.S.-centric. Um, I see the world where where God is at the center, and and we need to embrace what God is doing in the world. That has helped to inform my vision uh, for uh, Fuller, and also makes me a fit for Fuller because of its historical commitment to ministry around the world. The found the vision of the founder Charles Fuller. Uh, who had this robust radio ministry that uh, exceeded uh, the secular radio programs of the time. So it had a phenomenal reach. Um, but his vision, the, or the vision that God gave him, was for a school that would train people to be evangelists and missionaries with a heart and a view for the whole world. Mm. So... That is in the DNA of Fuller Theological Seminary. It's in my DNA, uh, and it helps me uh, to be able to lean into a place where we don't have to convince people uh, that the world is bigger than your proximity. Now, Dr. Goatley, we're going to talk about your vision for Fuller here in just a moment, but let's talk about the significance of your election as president at Fuller. In the 75-year history since its founding, Fuller Theological Seminary has become a place of rich diversity and theological leadership beyond what its founders could ever imagine. And I read that directly from the website. Fuller's nearly 3,500 students come from more than 75 countries and 110 denominations. In those 75 years, however, most of the leadership and all of the presidents have been white. Dr. Goatley, you are the seminary's first black president. What does that mean? How significant is that not only for Fuller Seminary, but for you personally and for the larger evangelical Christian witness? Because when I heard the news that you were elected president, I turned to Missy and said, this is a big deal. I, I just have so much admiration for you and your career. And when you were elected, I thought, this, this is all positive. This is so, so exciting. So tell us a little bit about what this means to you. Part of what it means to me is 
narrated by other African Americans uh, and Africans uh, and folks who are Latin American and folks who are Asian. Uh, and so those those voices are helping to narrate for me uh, that this is both substantive in terms of what I offer, but it's also symbolic um, because so much of the institutional uh, leadership of the church has been and continues to be centered in the North Atlantic global West, whether it's Western Europe or whether it's the United States. So there's this disproportionality in institutional leadership, whether it's in institutions of higher education, whether it's in denominations, whether it's in uh, parachurch organizations, that the institutional structures and leadership have historically predominantly been white and male. And uh, my uh, call uh, to Fuller Theological Seminary to be uh, its president with my African-American heritage is a step beyond uh, that pattern uh, that has been in place uh, and so it substantially brings uh, a different uh, insight, uh, experiences, sensibilities to the institutional leadership of Fuller and because of Fuller's uh, historic and contemporary leadership in the church, both evangelical and ecumenical, then it is uh, both a, a statement, so it means something in word, but it also means something in deed. And so uh, it, it is important both symbolically and substantially that a flagship institution uh, situated in the forefront of evangelical life in the United States and in the world has been able to go beyond the kind of structural and historic implicit and explicit racial constructions uh, to hear God calling and to uh, accept and embrace uh, a black leader. Um, and that's no small thing. So, yeah. Uh, I, I think it's, it continues to be narrated to me, however, uh, by other observers, uh, some who are friends, some who are not, but not only uh, from people who are uh, non-white uh, Christian leaders and even global leaders, but also uh, for my white siblings uh, in the United States, uh, in uh, Europe, um, have been very excited uh, about this is this is a, a moment uh, to celebrate now it does not eradicate history and centuries of oppression and discrimination and and racism and exclusion it does not eradicate that but it is a moment and moments have meaning Right. Uh, and so we, this is a contribution uh, and to how the, the evangelical world can be better. Uh, the beginning of Fuller was moving away from fundamentalism and its narrowness and its isolation. Mm -hmm. And so Fuller, the leaders of Fuller, have to give birth to this new evangelicalism, which was not uh, way right, not way left, but it was a third way. Yeah. And so, in a sense, it it makes sense uh, that Fuller would be uh, the, an institution uh, able uh, to hear God uh, call for an African-American institutional leader 
despite the long trajectory. I do want to also say, however, that there are uh, a number of leaders at Fuller Theological Seminary, uh, both in his School of Mission and Theology and in his School of Psychology and Marriage and Family Therapy, uh, as well as uh, in in its um, leadership formation uh, division, that there are there is good diversity uh, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, male and female. We have folks who uh, have uh, African American, Asian, Asian American, uh, white women, uh, Hispanic, Latino, Latina. So there is good leadership in our senior leaders. Uh, but but it is uh, important and significant uh, that uh, the the kind of racial uh, socializing right. uh, in the institution that they've been able to hear, uh, despite all of the history of socialization that uh, the Lord was calling, and and I'm grateful for the call and and happy to answer. Well, like you said, moments have meanings and this has a lot of meaning and we just are so excited uh, that you are the new president of Fuller Theological Seminary. Well, let's talk about your vision because if there's one thing that I have admired about you, Dr. Goatley, throughout your career is that you have been able to um you have been able to 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 keep a high level of academic integrity while at the same time not disconnecting your academic prowess with the local church and the missional front that has something that i have very much admired about you so as we've talked about your past your career uh your uh, your origin stories now you are the president what is your vision for Fuller Theological Seminary. Thanks, Mitch, for uh, your ministry of encouragement, and thanks for the question. And so, um, I I uh, understand the word vision in a way that I think has biblical inter- integrity is what God is revealing, rather than what we're cooking up. And so, I'm still listening uh, and learning. Um, There are two things, though, I would like to uh, say that uh, one is that what my, uh, uh, I'll use the word, my vision is that for Fuller to strengthen our capacity to help people prepare for the work God is calling them to do. I think that's theological education at its best. We're not doing all of the preparation, but we're helping to prepare people for the work that God is calling them to do. And that is being manifest in a variety of ways now. So we're we're still preparing people to be good, solid pastors who can serve and who can survive and who can sustain. But there's also chaplains, there are nonprofit execs, there are people who, who want to dig deeper in the faith as they work in the marketplace. But we also have a school of psychology and marriage and family therapy. And so we're holding together uh, theology and missiology with psychology and therapy. And that is an unusual combination. And so I'm looking forward to us doing more integration uh, on those both schools to make that available to people. So that is a part of it. The other thing I want to say is that we want to continue to strengthen our contribution to the professional uh, academics, to the practitioners of ministry and therapy and psychology, and to the public. Uh, the learners who who they may not have interest or need to do degreed training, but they want high quality equipping that is dynamic and that is adaptive and that is helping to serve the present age. Uh, and so we want to strengthen our capacities to serve those three populations 
And we want to strengthen our our capacity to do the integrative work that holds together missiology and theology along with psychology and therapy. And so that is a sweet spot that we have. And the fact that we are situated uh, in, we have four campuses. We have a campus in uh, in uh, Pasadena, California, in Phoenix, Arizona, in Houston, Texas, and uh, online. <laughs> and so we're able to, there are times where people are in class with somebody uh, from, uh, Korea, from Kentucky, and from Kenya. <laughs> a global class. Yeah. You know, there are very few places where you can interrogate the text and let your context be required text to share. Uh, uh, there was a, I was talking to one of our professors, uh, uh, Bible professors, who was talking about they were doing uh, some work, biblical work about lament. Well, when you have somebody from Korea talking about lament and that history, and then somebody from Kenya and that history, Mm -hmm. and then somebody from Kansas or Kentucky talking about that enriches the whole experience and it puts you in touch with Christians from around the world. So you don't have to kind of artificially construct the global um, uh, part contribution Sure. But but here, embedded in who we are, our faculty members who've been trained from around the world, have been born around the world, and students and learners from around the world. So I'm excited about how we continue uh, to make that available to more people. Well, that's exciting to hear. It sounds a whole lot uh, like theological education on the cutting edge. So well done. Can't wait to see what happens uh, as you begin this new venture as president. Dr. Goley, let's touch on one other um, related topic. First of all, I want to go back and say that I loved what you said about preparing students to serve and to survive. (laughs) And I feel like that is so important within ministry in this moment in time is to be able to serve and survive and and, uh, and then also thrive. But uh, one important aspect of your lifelong work has been fighting for social justice. And in, in that context, what do you feel like some of the most pressing issues are that are facing the church today? And how is Fuller preparing those students um, for those issues? Yeah, I think that what we have is a manifestation of the toxicity of polarization, um, and it shows up. In, it shows up in violence. It shows up in poverty. It shows up in uh, the the widening economic gap, where some have too much and most have too little. But all of those are manifestations, I think, of the toxicity of polarization. And I think that that is the key of our being more just in the world and justice in the sense where um, none have too much and none have too little. And that has to do with both provision and punishment. Um, And I think that part of the opportunity that Fuller has, and it it has historically, it's, it's more complicated now because historically we've been, we've tried to be a third way and attend to the broad middle. It's neither far left nor far right, theologically uh, or ideologically or culturally. But the kind of polarization that we're experiencing in the United States and in the world means that that middle keeps getting thinner and thinner and thinner. But I think part of it has to do with Uh, a hunger and a need for a viable way to be in the middle. And the middle is not mushy. The middle is a courageous middle, which says that we're not buying the cultural or political ideological extremes that are so popular and uh, that that are uh, popularized 
in various media outlets where people are just listening and talking in echo chambers. So I think one of our real contributions is helping to detoxify the church from the public polarization. That we don't have to choose either or. We can choose both and. God is not an either or God. God loves both you and me. God is concerned about here and there. And we have to emphasize righteousness and justice. And we have to hold them both. And that, I think, is kind of out of the natural wellspring of, of what's in the veins of Fuller Seminary. And that's what I'm hoping and looking forward to our continuing to offer. And I think that as we are able to articulate that more clearly and more compellingly, that there are people for, with whom that will resonate. That I, I believe that people are sometimes choosing extremism because they're not hearing a compelling vision and a clear vision for we need to be able to sit at the table and uh, you know when I was growing up we had uh, the 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 kitchen and the dining room table were made so that you could pull it and put another leaf in the table yeah. and that was designed so that there would be more room so when we had guests if it was just our household of four then we only needed four chairs and a little round table but when we had guests we could pull the table and put in the extra leaves, and then there was room for more people to have conversation, to contribute, to participate. And a part of our opportunity is helping people know it's a good thing to put some more leaves in the table so that there's room for more of us to listen and learn and discern what God is calling for. I'm hoping that that will be uh, a part of Fuller's future. Is there anything else that you think a prospective student might need to know, or maybe even prospective faculty? Um, this is this is your time to uh, cheer cheer on the school and let us know anything else we need to know, and maybe even how a student could apply. Fuller.edu. Fuller.edu is the place to go. What you will see is you will see if that we know that Fuller is not for everybody. So let me tell you who Fuller is not for. If you need to be with people in a homogeneous environment where everybody looks like you, thinks like you, uh, processes the data like you, if you need that kind of homogeneity, Fuller will frustrate you. If, on the other hand, you are interested in learning from faculty members who have been born and trained from around the world, some of the outstanding institutions around the world. If you're interested in studying with students who are from different cultures, both in North America and around the world, and if you are interested in studying at a seminary where you can easily access mission and theology along with psychology and therapy. If those are the kinds, if that is the kind of environment that is appealing, I think you want to look at Fuller. I think Fuller is for you. If, if you just need to be reinforced, Fuller will frustrate you. But if you want to be exposed to some of the best and brightest and excellence in pedagogy. We think that Fuller is for you as a student, as staff, as faculty, and as a learner, whether it's in degreed or non-degree programs, I think Fuller can be for you. Well said. Dr. Goatley, as you know, our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of your work, in light of our conversation today, what is your more to tell? The more to tell for me is that there people have a um, attraction and addiction to negativity. So there are stories about what the church is not doing, where the church is failing, where leaders are failing and missing the mark. You can get those stories. 
The more to tell is that there is light that the darkness cannot comprehend and that there are people and pastors and ministers and disciples of Jesus and churches that are seeking to be faithful to what God is calling them to do. They don't get on the marquee. They don't get the headline. They don't get the lead story on the news. But God is at work in this world and that there is a light in Christ Jesus that the darkness cannot comprehend and cannot overcome. There is light that God will not let be extinguished. And that is the final word. Dr. Goatley, thank you so much for being with us. If you want to know more about Fuller Theological Seminary, you can visit fuller.edu and read all about Dr. Goatley. You can actually view his inauguration, his speech. It was wonderful. And then you can apply. It is a great, great place to be. Dr. Goatley, thank you so much for being with us today. Mitch and Missy, it's great to be with you. Thank you for this opportunity. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you in Southern California. Missy, we'll have a, a beach <laughs> umbrella and a, with, with, and a towel with your name on it. Oh, don't encourage you. Don't Excellent. encourage you. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Mitch can come if he wants to, but we've got, we've got something waiting on you. <laughs> I, we get each other. <laughs> I just recently met Dr. Goatley with you last fall at another conference before it was announced that he was becoming president of Fuller. At that time, he was only like leading a Duke program. So, I mean, you know, small potatoes. Sure, sure. No, he was definitely um, someone I knew that I needed to know. And when you introduced us, sure. I, was, I was so thrilled to get to meet him. So I'm, I'm very thankful for the opportunity to, to chat with him albeit over Zoom, but he, he is wonderful, and I appreciate the work that he's doing and, and so thankful that he's and what I appreciate, he is. appreciate about Dr. Goatley and individuals that, can, that have preceded him and continue this commitment and passion for theological education. They are both genuine and authentic, but even more so, they have this integrity about them. They're doing theological education in the most genuine and authentic way that reminds me a lot of my own theological education back in the 90s. No, I think in knowing you all of these years, it has become apparent to me how valuable a, a theological education and understanding is and. Uh, how absence of that, and I'm not saying you have to have formal education to hear a word from from God, but it has so enhanced my experience being around individuals who have taken the time to be in these spaces and well, to learn from those. When I went to seminary, I went under the false misconception that they were going to teach me what the Bible said because that was the context that I grew up in, meaning I grew up under fundamentalist churches that said, thus saith the Lord, which actually meant thus saith the pastor says. Well, they interpret it for you and they exactly. just tell you like these are the rules. And so when I show up on campus at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, which if you look that up today, you're not going to believe me, but years ago, it was a different kind of seminary, which was a Southern Baptist seminary. But I remember showing up, and the president at the time was Dr. Russell Dilday. And I'll never forget the day of orientation when he looked all of us in the eye and said, we are not here to teach you what the Bible says. We are here to teach you how to find out for yourself what you think the Bible says. In essence, it was about helping us develop our own theological formation. That was the best, best advice somebody had ever given me. It's also a lot more work. 
it's a heck of a lot more work. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, you know, I just appreciate individuals like Doc, uh, Dr. Dilday and Dr. Goatley who are committed to that kind of theological work. Right. And, and trusting the student to be able to dig in and to glean and to, like you said, form your own theological foundation moving on, not having to indoctrinate someone. Yeah, because, I mean, the reality is that there are people who are lined up, preachers, theologians, scholars, who are chomping at the bit to tell you how to interpret the Bible, to tell you what God thinks, to tell you how Jesus should tell you how to live your life. Well, I understand that kind of thinking, I don't appreciate it because I don't think that is the reality of the scriptures and especially the reality of Jesus. A big part of that is the historical piece. There's so much in the Bible that is contextual historically that you can read the words on the page and you think they say one thing, women be silent in church, for example. I remember hearing that. Please, I mean, let's hit the mute button right now. Right. Well, I mean, that's fine. I'll be silent in church, but you know what? That means you get to show up with a casserole for the potluck. You know how to make that? Oh, wait, I can't talk, so you go for it, man. (laughs) Sorry. Anyways, I digress. But knowing the historical context of that time and that passage and maybe why it was written and who it was written for and who the audience was for, what was happening at the time, opens up a whole new story. It's like, I don't know, reading words on the page, but then having a 3D diorama of the situation. Oh, that's a great... Is yeah, what, that's a great example. See, this is why you don't make me be silent, right? <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> but there's so much that I have gleaned. I know from from you and your colleagues who have who have put yourself through this type of rig- rigorous education. In you know, then all of a sudden, I don't know if you remember the um, any of the shows about Disney or any kind of animation when you see the layers of the the anim- early animations, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, for example, sure. when they bring all of those. What are they called? I don't know what they're called, lithographs, I don't know, together to bring the animation together. That's, to me, what what a good theological foundation and education can do. It brings in all of the layers of the images that you need to see in order to grasp the story and glean truth from it. And everybody's going to glean maybe a, a little different truth for their own lives, but yet it's not just, hey, you know, women don't cut your hair or do cut your hair or do cover your head, you know, whatever the case may be, or, you know, pluck your eye out, you know, if you, it causes you to sin. All of those things that, you know, in black and white seem one way, but let's look behind this, behind the curtain and see what's actually going on around these people who are living in this space and see what truth we can glean. Jeez. Are you ready for an invitation yet? I mean, yes. Let's. I mean, let's roll out the. All right, wherever invi- he leads, I go. Let's sing it. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm quite honestly, I'm kind of ready for an invi- not only an invitation but an offering. Oh, I'll pass that plate. Gift cards to Starbucks. Welcome. I absolutely, I, mean, I absolutely adore the visualization of 3D theology because I mean, what can you're we coin that term? Yes, uh, 3D theology. Oh my gosh, that could be a whole other podcast. Because I mean, you think about it: different voices, different cultures, different lenses that are trying to. And Paul used the word "looking through a glass dimly or darkly," that we're trying to decipher this image of God and this will of God through all of these lenses, whether they're male, female whether they're you know, gay, straight, whether they're Anglo, African, or indigenous, we're trying to figure out the identity of this creator and the creator's interaction with humanity. And I just, that is a brilliant, brilliant way of looking wow. at things. Wow. <laughs> 
I think there's a reason we say that's the mystery of God. Oh, I mean, I think 100%. there is a mystery. There always is a mystery and there always needs to be a mystery. Yeah. Um, that's what keeps us seeking and trying to learn and grow in our faith. Absolutely. Well, theological education has come a long ways, but it's got a long ways to go. I'm just glad that there are individuals like Dr. David Goatley who are in position to lead students, to help them discover their own theology and their practice of theology in the world, to lead the church in a new direction, an emerging generation for years to come. So uh, great conversation with him. Uh, just lots of things to think about. And great conversation with me too, right? Always. I'm so <laughs> glad that you're back. And I'm, sure. I, I appreciate the fishnet that you just brought to the... <laughs> The stockings or the conversation? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, both. <laughs> You're blushing a little bit there. What's that about? <laughs> All right, we better sign we off. We better sign off right now. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to Good Faith Weekly, hosted by Mitch and Missy Randall. This weekly podcast from Good Faith Media discusses matters of faith and culture. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast and give us a like and a glowing review. We produce the podcast out of Norman, Oklahoma. Our music comes from Pond 5. And we're supported by listeners like you. Learn more about us at goodfaithmedia.org. <laughs>